0: So, welcome everyone to Carving a New Path. This podcast is filled with stories and tools and resources to help you pause and reflect on the life you are living and opening to new possibilities. Most of us were raised in a society that encourages productivity and do, do, do. But when a life circumstance like a job layoff or an illness or the birth or death of a loved one comes along, It disrupts your daily routine. And it gives you a chance to pause and reflect on your life, a chance to practice going inward. Well, the show today is called Poetry and Parenthood with my guest, Frank Mundo. And in this episode, Frank and I are going to talk about parenthood and the journey that he and his wife, Nancy, had with trying to conceive a child, the exploration of medical solutions, and a journey that led them to foster two children and then adopt. Well, Frank is a writer in Rancho Cucamongo, California, where he lives with his wife, Nancy, and their twin three-year-olds. And he's the author of Touched by an Anglo, and it's from the Katie Wampus Press. That's where you can find that book. Frank's stories and poems focus mainly on identity and family, themes Frank speaks about at high schools and colleges. As a child, Frank and his siblings were in the foster care system in Maryland, and today he is an advocate for foster and adopted kids and their parents. Frank will be reading some of his poetry about parents, step-parents, and trying to become parents from his book, Touched by an Anglo. And I've posted a link to his author page on Amazon with many of his books, and a link to his page for Touched by an Anglo that's on the Katie Wampus Press page. Okay, with all of that taken care of, Frank, welcome to the show. Hi, Andrea, thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. It is good to see you. And I mean, the last time we did a radio show, it was about grief. And that was back in 2010, which is when we met through our friend, Shelley Rationale.
1: Yeah, right. that, was, that, was, uh, that was an interesting uh, uh, call, I really enjoyed that, so I'm, I'm looking forward to today and talking to you about, you know, becoming a parent and all the ups all and yeah. downs that's involved in it and the poetry that I write in response to that.
0: Well, I'm so happy that uh, when I put out a call to, hey, does anyone want to be a guest on this show, that, that you said yes, because I have watched from afar you know stalking you on instagram <laughs> and facebook that i knew there was something going on in the last few years and every once in a while you would share a little tidbit like that there were kids and and then it was that you weren't posting on social media and and so i'm i'm so happy that you're here because i really want to i think it's a great topic for everyone to hear this journey and I'm ready for you to fill in the details that I couldn't pick up on social media. So I know that you said that six years ago, you and Nancy decided that you wanted to become parents. Yes, it
1: was, it was, we had been married at that time, maybe for almost five years. And, you know, we had gotten financially, we got, we got into a place where we thought, okay, now it's time. For us to, you know, start having a family, start doing that stuff, what goal we always wanted to have, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I was getting older. I was, I was, I was forty at the time, and mm-hmm. and uh, it was, it wasn't working out. It wasn't, it wasn't this, uh, happening the way we thought we were hoping it would. And we, you know, we gave it a little time. They said, you know, we we got to keep, got to keep trying, keep planning. We tried these different apps. We tried. Different ways to conceive, and it just for whatever reason, it wasn't happening for us. So we we decided to kind of go for um, uh, see the doctor, medical options, see if we were something wrong with us, maybe something we could do to help the process. And we each we each were okay. There was no uh, there wasn't any medical things that were wrong. There wasn't um, any there wasn't any reason why we shouldn't be getting pregnant. But we just weren't. And they said, maybe we're too stressed out. We're too, we're too focused on it. We're too something. Maybe, um, you know, I took like prescription pills for like for my heart, like for cholesterol and stuff. And I thought maybe that had something to do with it. But no, it was like everything was fine. Mm-hmm. So we kept trying. Still no success. So at some point we decided to see the specialists. Maybe there's something they could do uh, or what options were available. And that's where we went on to, you know, um, in vitro, other, other, ways we can, other ways we could conceive to see medically. And um, well, I should probably say before that, um, in order for us to get into this spot to be ready to, have, to be parents, mm-hmm. um, my wife decided maybe she wanted to be a stay at home a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. So in order for us to do that, we had to sort of re-budget, re- re-jigger our, our, our budget so that she could, uh, you know, my wife was uh, director of HR, so we had to cut out like six figures of our income uh-huh. and try, so talk about upending up your whole life
0: sure, and changing
1: sure. our life. We had to make that decision and that's what I was talking about in the beginning about the financial part. So now, here we are, She's quit her job, she's nesting, she's doing everything the doctors say, and it's not working. Something's not right, we're, we're not working. And then that's when we get into more of the medical, the medical part of it. And um, this was a really difficult time for me. know a lot, like you, hear, you don't hear a lot of men talking about this process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to conceiving, and you're not able to, like, as a man, it's kind of like, I'm not a man, or so, there's something inside of you that, that's kind of, that, that bothers you, that upsets you, and I think that makes, makes it even worse, it puts a little more pressure on you, makes it even worse, and so that was happening to me, and like we were talking earlier about the poetry, what I do when I, when I get into those kind of places, that's when I write, that's when I focus on poetry, that's when I Use that tool for like catharsis to help me work things out, to help me understand what I'm feeling, and um, that's where a lot of the poems from the book come from. This six-year period of of this process, you know, as I as I decided to become a parent, I started thinking about my my childhood, Mm -hmm. my family, my my parents, and I was I was a, a foster kid a foster child my brother and my sister and um, so we have a lot of um, complicated uh, relationships foster parents biological parents uh step parents uh step brothers half brothers there's a lot of, of that and there's different parts of the family and different parts of places that you know they don't really communicate or do so that what that was a part of it and that's really what the book is about like all of those
0: well i i want to say that that in getting ready for this show you had sent me four poems and as i read the poems i was really thinking about how rare it is for me to read something so personal and tender from a man and to have your perspective. And it really, it really came through in the in the poetry in a way that um, you know, I'm always curious about people. And so I am someone who reads a lot and watches films and tries to look at things from different angles, not just from me as a woman right. looking at only women, but really trying to understand. And it's such a gift in your poetry your ability to share that and share that tenderness and it to me it also expands the way we can think about life yeah. and think about parenthood. You know, that it seems like, oh yeah, it's just natural. Let's let's just do it and make a baby. And right. it just, you know, life doesn't always work out
1: that way. Yeah. Yeah. So that the, the first one at that time, like one of the first poems that I wrote um, was like these epistles. I call them epistles.
0: Mm-hmm. They're like letters. Yeah, but,
1: but it's modern matter time. So I call them more like emails. So I, I see them as emails. So I, that's why I have a little regarding. Uh-huh. So I wrote one for yeah. each member of the family, right? So regarding your mother, uh-huh. that was one of the first ones. And I wrote one for each member of my family.
0: Uh-huh. It's
1: like a, a letter that I wrote to them, the email, but I never hit sent. Uh-huh. You know, like, it's like that. I'm yeah. going to get right into it. I'm going to say everything I want to say. And it might not be, uh, it might be a little harsh. It might be funny. It might be, like you said, tender. It might be, just depends on what is, what is I was feeling at that time. So the first one I can read it, it's, it's called regarding your mother. Yes. So that one's on page 27. That one is, that one's a little angry, maybe mm-hmm. a little aggressive, but I think part of that, part of that process is working through whatever that is, whatever I'm feeling yeah. to do that. And, so this is the, the email that I would have written to my mother, and it's kind of in the book that way. It's mm-hmm. called, Regarding Your Mother. It's, I wish I could interview another you, the one from 1972, with the Elvis sneer and the Joan Jett do, who knows all you've forgotten and remembers everything you knew. I'd ask, how did Apollo ever earn your trust? Did snakes lick your ears clean of his dirt and dust? that Kuro's ideal, son of light and lust. Was this liar's liar so inspiringly robust? Because honestly, I see no signs of Zeus, no bull, no eagle, and no golden goose. I see a bitter old fool, full of bile and abuse, a kind of soulless soul only hate can produce. And now, cursed with the truth no one can believe, and the pain of loss no one can relieve, I'd ask, why cling to the tangled web we grieve, holding back that final ace up your sleeve? I guess I'll never fully know the reasons why. And I'll never figure out how he drank you dry. But somewhere in the depths of truth lives a lie that will haunt me until the day I die. That's the, that's the poem. Yeah. I'll it tell you, that
0: it, it's, it's beautiful. And what really touched me with, uh, because luckily I got to read the poetry ahead of time also, but it really touched me that, first of all, you started with, well, I would have liked to have known that, that woman before yeah. she was mom or when she was younger. And mm-hmm. we don't always think about how our parents are people, right? That are just making their way through the world and they had a younger self and they had mm-hmm. a, you know, that time period. Um, but then uh, your ability to express the anger and to not have it all tied up in a nice, neat little boat, like, oh, and now I forgive you. It's like no, yeah. you know what? Sometimes it's like uh, I'm not going to be able to go back and do that, and it's still going to haunt me. Um,
1: yeah, I think like too the when you, you know, when I think about that anger, the anger comes from that other person, that one before.
0: Uh-huh. Like my mother's
1: not that she's not that person anymore,
0: but mm-hmm.
1: uh, she was younger. She's, you know, she did a she did a good job. Of, of raising me and doing her best she could do. Mm-hmm. That that poem, the anger, comes from the uncertainty, the not like just not knowing. What mm-hmm. why, why did this happen? Why did why was this going on? Like, yeah. um, and as a, a child or someone who's gone through that and then not really addressed it until I'm what, forty years old.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, there's a lot of uh, baggage there. So that was really what brought that that brought that about. And that's right about the same time that we're Trying to have that I'm trying to become that, so here I am this person. I'm thinking maybe my kids might do the same thing, right <laughs> yeah but what I was think. he what was he thinking about then or,
0: uh-huh. you know
1: you know there's always gonna be um some looking back and you know I'm gonna make mistakes, I'm gonna do things that the kids aren't gonna like, mm-hmm. that I'm gonna do things i don't I don't look I look back and go, I should have done that better,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you know ultimately. I'm not, in 20 years, I'm not going to be the person I am today. I'm going to be somebody else. So that's kind of what the poem is about. Mm -hmm. It's, I was angry, but it wasn't, it wasn't at, it wasn't at today. It wasn't at like my mother today. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents did a good job. It was, it was the, it was the past. And that's where I was having the struggle. Mm -hmm. That's why I waited so long to be a parent. I wasn't sure I was going to be a good parent because of, I had this thing, you know, you're, if you're, if your family is this way, you're this way. There's all this these little statistics. If your family's this, you're gonna be that. So that's kind of where it was, and that's where my mind was at the time, which brought us to the like the medical part. So now we mm-hmm. move past this. This was really good for me, actually. Um, I I saw I kind of pushed that stuff behind. That stuff, that that grief or whatever it was, I was holding on to. The anger. I tried to get rid of much as that as I could, so we went to the to the other the medical doctor, the specialist, and it's very expensive. I mean, I don't know how if you don't have health insurance. So each each, uh, I had health insurance which covered fifty percent of the procedures, mm-hmm. right? So just to meet with the specialist, I think it was like eight hundred dollars. Mm. Just to talk, like just right. to say, here's your here's your options. You could. Take these, take these vitamins and that's, you can do in vitro, and here's the, they had like several options, and each one was around $25,000. And like I said, we just we just had my wife, uh, you know, kind of come off work and, and we were okay, but it was still that's a lot of money to, to take out of your budget. Sure. And uh, So that wasn't really viable for us at that point. I mean, we were gonna say, um, I, don't, I don't know if this is gonna work. Mm-hmm. But um, I did try. I did try uh, one because I had to do like a sample of me. Uh-huh. So I did try to do a couple of the sessions, and that also resulted in a poem because it, it was very awkward for me as a as a man to to have to perform and provide samples on the spot like, right. at any time of the day, and it, it was very. I don't know if it was it was it was shameful. It was embarrassing. It was funny. It was scary. And I had to. I, that became the next poem that I wrote about in that that thing. That's the one I gave you. It's called "My Part."
0: Yes, yes, read that. Is that one. I.
1: That's what's more funny. Mm-hmm. This is more of a funny one because it talks about the meeting we had with the specialists. My wife and I had, like, as we talked to the specialist. And I use humor sometimes inappropriately because I'm uncomfortable, like as a sort of mechanism sure, <laughs> so sure. as she's explaining stuff to us you know i'm I'm having this sort of narrative with my wife, probably inappropriate we're having this sort of inappropriate thing while we're talking to the, uh-huh. to the so that's what that <laughs> so I'll read that one that's on that's on page nineteen so this one i i completely different from the the epistle one with my mom. When I'm working through a different kind of feeling, mm-hmm. this one I'm working through uh, just my own baggage of being a man, and some you know someone prescribing me to to perform in a room right next door while there's someone outside the door,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's just it was surreal. It's like a surreal moment, you know, like the doctor's telling me I need to do this. So, so this poem is called uh, "My Part." Mm-hmm. Right. she doesn't really need me the doctor said all she needs is my sperm and an assurance that I can produce it for her on demand the husband's part is actually pretty simple she says and I laugh because her envy of my part is not for my part at all but for my role and so I start thinking about my part and about my role and then I start thinking about my part and my role and my job and about this one little thing she needs me to be ready to do at the drop of a hat Oh, I say with just enough irony and deadpan that my wife has to elbow me to fight me, fight off a smile. I think I'm up for it, I finish. And my wife rolls her eyes and asks the doctor another question after that. Does my husband need to be there? Which really means, does my husband need to be here right now having this conversation with us? Which reminds me of my part again, and my role again, and my job again. Which reminds me that my promise, my wife, that I'd be good today no matter what. But no, the doctor says, a bit thoughtless on her part. The husband does not need to come. And the good doctor makes me a liar now, too, because I can't help but laugh. I can't help it. She made me laugh. She made me lie. Elbow me all you want, honey, but it's her fault. I'm afraid. I'm afraid it's her fault. I'm afraid it's not my fault. I'm not afraid. It's my, I'm afraid. I've never been more afraid of my part. Yes, so that's, That was our. that was our... Kind of the end. Once I got to that stage, I was done.
0: Well, and all the all the words that take on different meaning, yeah, right? <laughs> a conversation like that. And I mean, if you think about many ways how shut down our society is, the whole idea of masturbating and like not yeah. like hiding that. And yeah. then then it's like, oh, go in there. And we all know yeah. what we're doing in there. Yeah. It's and, supposed to
1: be a shame like it feels like a shameful thing, but the doctor's telling you to do it. And then I'm like in there, and there's a nurse outside, and I'm thinking, like, how long do I take? <laughs> right. I don't want to be too fast or too... Like, there's all these, like, these things that go through your mind, and I just think, this is absurd. Like, okay. the whole thing is, is weird, and nobody ever told me. No, men don't ever talk about this. Like, uh-huh. we, we don't open up to each other like our buddies, and we don't tell them. Yeah. So it's like, this, has to be, this has to be something to discuss and, and it's great
0: and, so. I, I just I love it I love that yeah. so, so that,
1: that, the next thing like the next phase was um, we were going to think about originally adoption originally we, we thought about it and the, the process for that is also about $25,000 mm. and they have a different they have a different setup so they, they have like a like an agency you work with and they kind of put queries out for women who are pregnant, but you know don't want to ha- don't want to ha- don't want to have the baby themselves, so you mat they pair you up with these women. You and a lawyer you sort of team up with a lawyer, and you you know you pay for her medical care, her health insurance, the legal paperwork, all this stuff. And then when the child is born, um, you know she can. This is the tough part. This is the part that was really hard: is she can give you the child or not. Right And it, I heard like Fair up to up to ten to fifteen percent of the time, um, it turns out to be not
0: mm-hmm.
1: and with the financial situation we were in and just what we had been going through, and the fact that the doctors said we still weren't unable to conceive, we were still like trying throughout that process, we thought maybe that wasn't the right that wasn't the right path either.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we thought about it for a while, and you know we shed some tears. It was a difficult time, especially for my wife. This is the, this is the part that, you know, I talked about how men feel. This is the part I think, I don't, I can't say for sure, but I have imagined the concept of motherhood
0: mm-hmm. for a woman
1: is the same as I'm, as a man, I'm supposed to be the guy who conceives as a woman. I would imagine it's something similar. I'm the one who's supposed to give life and, and do this. And why can't I do it? Yeah. Some, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? I think my wife is going through similar things on her own, her own way. And so we tried to talk a lot and we tried to get through that. And, you know, we would get back to adoption later, but we kind of, this is where we took that turn. And this is the one that really sort of changed everything. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, we heard about uh, one of our like, neighbor friends and one of my wife's friends was fostering um, kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought, let's try that. You know, I was, I was a foster kid and that helped me. Like somebody was willing to, you know, take care of me while, you know, my, my parents worked on their, their end of the thing and I mm-hmm. uh, was able to get back with my parents and um, that's kind of the goal in foster care is to get, get kids through that time, that mm-hmm. difficult time and get them to, you know, the care they need and onto the family who works out whatever issues they have. Mm-hmm. And well,
0: and there was—I want to say—there was such a readiness from the two of you, also, that that you were making life choices to ready the house, ready your lives. Right, like there was room in your life for. Totally.
1: Yeah, in order to in order to get your there's a lot of uh, certification. So, like you said, in order to be certified to become a foster parent, it takes a long time. Uh Your house has to be certified. You have to do all kinds of safety measures, evacuation plans. Uh, Everything has to be, they they come to your home and they check. There has to be a room, like a a separate room for each kid that you want to foster. Um, There's a lot of classes you need to take uh, and a lot of classes you need to, to take for relearning, like to continuing education throughout the time in order to maintain your your. I guess, certification or license or whatever it is that you get as a foster parent with the agency. So it's a commitment. It's mm-hmm. not a, and it's not a, uh, you know, just something you just kind of. Like uh, let, fill let, out let, a form yeah. and here, yeah.
0: here, here's a kid.
1: And, so, and yeah. I heard you, like, I heard like sometimes when you're trying to conceive and you're having difficulty, a lot of times what happens is people adopt or they foster and something happens like a, uh or something and you end up getting pregnant anyway right. so sometimes you end up you, you get adopted sometimes kid, people will have another child they'll have their first child even after they adopt so there was still hope for us you know my wife's five years younger than me so um i thought you know we still have a good mm-hmm. shot and at the and at the same time while we're kind of conceiving we could be sort of having the having the parenting experience mm-hmm. and at the same time helping you know some troubled kids get get the care and the love they needed while their parents are figuring out their their lives Mm -hmm. and i thought this is great and i I feel like that that was the moment that triggered another kind of thinking in me and i started thinking about my stepfather Mm
0: -hmm. right so
1: here's a guy when when my mother my mother uh was able to get us back and and, and to re- return to our normal lives and get uh, our family back together. Um, you know, she ended up, uh, you know, getting married to this man, mm-hmm. my stepfather, and he he decided that he wanted to be with her, with with three three kids, three kids that were you know just in out of the you know the system. We were. You know, we had some troubles, we had some uh, issues, and um, he was willing to, to join the family, to, to be a part of the family, to selflessly um, help, uh, my, you know, help my mom and help everybody uh, get through this time. And it was something I was thinking about at that time. You don't think about it as you're growing up, mm-hmm. you know, how much you appreciate your parents or what they did or what they had to do. My parents had to do a lot of things to get out of this hole, mm-hmm. to, to put us through the right schools, to do what we needed to do. And they did, they did a great job. Mm-hmm. And what, ha- what happens is when you're, it's your turn to become a parent, that's when you start to, to realize the struggle, the sacrifices, the, the things that they did. You know, and you're going to have, just like I said, you're going to have anger and complaints and um, you know, I wish they did this better or they did that better or this. Everybody, I think everybody has that. And That's normal, and uh, this this poem became one of those epistles, like that idea of um, I need to say something to my stepfather mm-hmm. in in that same style, that regarding like an email form. So that one is uh, that one's on page eight. I'll read that one. This one, different tone also. So this the first one was a little angry. Right, this one was a little. The last one was a little humorous. Uh-huh. This one is grateful. It's mm-hmm. a little. Um, it's hopeful, I think it's, it's, it has some dark parts because we had, we had dark times that we went through, but I think ultimately it's a, it's a positive one. And that's what I was trying to, to incense is that idea someday, you know, my, my kids are going to think the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. All right. So this one is, it's called regarding your stepfather biology begs to differ. You are not the father, unsmilingly smiling with all the harm joy charm of Maury Povich, of goddamn Maury Povich. (laughs) Our relationship then from the jump, decidedly doomed by nature, speciously subsumed in the nomenclature, was always a hard and harsh step away and a huge step down in the tired and tried taxonomy of this, our nuclear family. I'll know no greater injustice than that single arm's length, your nature to nurture, helped foster in me a patient strength to face and finally face up to the flaming wrath that stole my ears from that unworthy husbander of my greatest fears, and the quiet consummation hidden, always hidden, one step beyond the brilliant shock of heaven peeping just beneath the bottom of the door. You are not my father, no sir. You were so much more.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's: uh, mm-hmm.
1: Yes yeah, so that's the one that kind of prepared me to take this step. It helped me think, you know, my stepfather sacrificed a lot. He took on these kids, he took on my mom, he, he, he helped me, he was at all the games, he went to the things, the graduations and the, and the stuff. And, um, you know, he, he's my model for uh, being a father.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I didn't have a relationship with my biological father after that I mean I was a, I was an infant or I was young so I didn't have a relationship with him so I don't I don't know I don't have the same like this longing like who do I come from because this man filled that he did this amazing thing and made that happen yeah. so that one that one really put it put this process into place for me mm-hmm. for my wife we had i don't i'm not sure what she was um, using to kind of work on this stuff or get through it but we talked about it a lot mm-hmm. we talked about the decisions we wanted to make together um, like this idea of staying home this idea of, of how we were going to how we going to do this process so we tried to communicate throughout the whole process even though our perspectives were Completely different. We each knew the other person was going through something, and at this, by the time this was happening, um, was right about when we when we were doing the application and the certification to become foster parents. Mm-hmm. So this became a very um, sentimental, emotional time of reflection, where you look back and you say, "Okay, look at what my stepfather did. That's amazing. I want to do." want to do that too so that's kind of
0: you it it gave you a chance to really look at how you can love someone who isn't a biological child right right? and Mm -hmm. so i think that's sometimes what people question and i know you have another poem um to tie in with this topic but that's uh, the the thing that I want to say for the listeners, because the, the anyone listening may not be going through a situation of becoming a parent, but maybe the, you had an idea of a certain kind of job you were going to have forever, and now that mm-hmm. job isn't there, and it's these these moments where we we have a certain vision for what we think is going to happen in our lives, and something that seems so natural, and then it's. It, all the feelings that come up from that. But I was thinking about how, when you said that Nancy had a friend or a friend's knew of someone who was fostering. And so even to have, be open to a new idea and then it, it kind of comes into form where you say, Oh, Oh, like people do that. Yeah. Like this is a thing. And then you having the experience of having been fostered of like, Oh, this is, you know, right. this is something normal. that we yeah, can do. right? Right. So it's like an idea that might not have even occurred to you, or that you hadn't seen or felt, and and those those kind of doors or windows of possibility that open, that lead to something amazing. Totally. Yeah.
1: And that's that's the next part is like, okay, there's there's, there's preparing your home and taking classes and preparing your mind, and reading books, and preparing with your wife, but having children in the home is, is nothing, like, it's nothing like that, right. so you can't prepare for that, and what, what comes with that, um, there's a, with the, with the foster process, you know, they, they have to have a lot of safety um, processes in place, mm-hmm. so there's, there's, like, meetings um, with social workers once a week, they have, like, a, a, a county worker, and then they have, like, a, Agency social worker, they come uh, every week. One comes every month. Uh, They can inspect your house anytime. They can just come and knock, and you got to be willing to uh, open your your life to uh, this kind of inspection at any time. Because these children, their safety comes first. Sure. Your privacy, your rights, your thing. And there's a lot of issues with that. I think if people out there are thinking about becoming a foster parent, you need to consider. Um, a lot of these the stuff we're talking about and talk to your agency and talk to other parents there's a lot of Facebook groups you can go on and talk to foster parents and think about all these things before you um you know jump into it because it's huge it's Mm -hmm. it changes your whole life yeah The, the home the way your home is set up the way um your privacy is involved the 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 things that you have to do in order to have this great opportunity to, you know, raise these kids while their um, parents are working on themselves. And that's the first goal, right? People need to remember that. The Correct. first goal is to reunite the kids with the parents. That's the first goal. If that can't happen, then they have an opportunity in some cases in order to adopt or to take on new a new um, foster family or foster kids. And uh, so when, when we got to that stage, we got to the – we actually had the – we had uh, the first the first call we got. So this is really weird. I was I was in the hospital, and I had um, I had recently had a heart attack.
0: Oh my! Oh yeah! Now I remember.
1: Right. right. So like I had a, I was I was overweight and I had, I was wasn't taking my count. I was really stressed out and all this stuff. And that's and I ended up having a heart attack. And where I was working too much. I was just it was crazy. So, I had to make more changes in my life. Um, this is right before that. So, um, you know, I lost 100 pounds. I had to do a lot of, uh, of work on myself. And just doing that, um, you learn, you, you start the same thing. Why am I this way? Why am I the way I am? Why do I, why do I weigh 100 pounds? Why am I 100 pounds overweight? Why am I, um, you know, doing this to myself? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be. I'm gonna have these kids. I need to be there for them. I'm gonna be. I can't just have a heart attack and leave them there with my wife not working, right? And so, there's a whole new um, my, again, another mindset where you go, um, you know, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was betraying my wife, mm-hmm. I was setting her up for failure, and this was tough for me. I was like. Uh, mm-hmm. I need to, I need to get my life in order. Like not big just financial. Big wake up call. Right, big, big one. I was, like, yeah. you know, I was like, and I had another heart attack almost immediately after. Oh my gosh. So it was like, I don't know what's going on. And I just, I just decided I need to get healthy. I need to get better. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better uh, person to myself. Mm-hmm. And part of that was this, that, the next poem that I'm done, the fourth one, which was, it's called This Your Romeo I wrote it. This one for Nancy, mm-hmm. and it's a sonnet. It's one of those Shakespeare like, love poem type things, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of an apology and an explanation of of what I thought was the problem, which was this baggage I still had from my biological father. Mm-hmm. I felt like um, I was going to be that. I was going to be this thing instead of my stepfather who really stepped up i i you know i have the blood of this other man i'm gonna be like him i'm gonna abandon the kids i'm gonna be an alcoholic i'm gonna do something bad and it's just in your mind because people tell you that when you're when your parents are this when you're a foster kid your chances of this when you're when you're someone in your family commits suicide your chances of this so there's all these numbers that are working against me and it's I'm kind of sabotaging myself. I'm smoking. I was smoking. I was eating. I was being unhealthy, not exercising. I was working from home way too much. I was doing all kinds of books and reviews and writing and everything I could do all the time, not leaving the house, not getting outside, just you know, and that's that's what really kind of brought on this this the next poem, the the one that's called This me on page 17. And I wrote this for Nancy. And it was just something, even though we were so communicative, we were so open, I thought. We were so telling each other everything. I, I really thought we were. But then when I, I was having these feelings, I realized we weren't. I wasn't anyway. Mm-hmm. I was still harboring something. And then this really helped me bring it up, and then we could talk about it afterwards. So this was really helpful to me. So it's called This Your Romeo and His Oubliette. The scales have fallen from my eyes, and straight away I can finally see the little bundle you so prize holds none of the crippling anxiety and irrational fear that has limited our life as friends turned lovers, now husband and wife. I was stubborn too, I admit it's true, but my misgivings had nothing to do with you. I was afraid of the donor's resume, the boogeyman who poisoned my DNA. Mixed up, I was weak, and I apologize. I let poor judgment lapse into compromise because of another man's transgression and sin. I promise it will never happen again. Mm-hmm. So this was, this was me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just really, I mean, every time I've read that, and now you're reading it, it's like really, really touched yeah. me. It's that, you know, when, when I hear you talking and when, with you reading, it's like the poetry helped Draw it out of you, in a sense. So yes, you and Nancy were talking, and you were being honest, and they were sharing feelings and everything. But there are these parts of ourselves that we don't even know are in there. (laughs) We don't even know what that is underneath. And just that's such a beautiful poem of revealing the those parts of yourself that maybe you didn't. After that, I I
1: I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking. I, I've lost 100 pounds, I, that was the thing. You, people always say there's something that, that has to happen for you before you to make these decisions or to make these, you maybe like rock bottom or something like that. There's some physical rock bottom that I hit on my health yeah. and you know, having a heart attack in the hospital. And they gave me this little dog, like a, like a dog, to, like a pal to play with while you're in the hospital. And I was there for five days. And this is the scariest, this is the scariest part, I, I can't believe it. So we were in the hospital, I was in the hospital, like the, right before that I had, I had, you know, lost my job, there was a financial meltdown and thing that was going on. So I was in between jobs. So I was just about to start a new job. Uh-huh. And it was, uh, it was like, I don't know, three weeks away. Like I had to do like the, mm-hmm. the, the I don't know, some kind of delay or something. and then. I had no health I had no health care coverage uh, except for this Cobra which is very expensive
0: yeah this is
1: like uh, what is it called pre-existing condition yeah, yeah this is before like Obamacare and all that and so I told my wife my wife's like well should we pay for this this Cobra and I was like no it's only three weeks like what's the worst that could happen And she's like no no we have we should we should do it we need to do it it's very important so I was like, okay, let's let's do it. It's it was very expensive, but we did it. And then during that three weeks I had I had the heart attack and it would have been like eighty thousand dollars or something. That would we would have been totally devastated. So another another reason why I oh Nancy and a big apology was yeah. <laughs> she's just saving our butt for that. That was that would have that would have devastated all of our plans, all of our mm-hmm. our goals. And we probably wouldn't have been, you know, able to um to do this process because both of us would have been uh, out of work, out of bankrupt. I don't know what would happen. <laughs> that would have been terrible. So that's kind of what was happening. Nice. And then, on top of that, that same day that we're back to the original thing, back to that day I was in the hospital, um, I lost my hearing. Mm-hmm. So the doctors told me, um, I have a hearing loss now you know, I wear, I wear hearing aids and uh-huh. the, the, it's hard to, um, another thing as a uh, I wasn't that old. I was, you know, 42, maybe something was 41, 42. And now I'm, I'm, I'm losing my hearing too. Uh-huh. I'm losing, I can't conceive. I'm, lo- I'm losing my hearing. I'm having a heart attack. I'm overweight. I'm smoking. I'm, I'm unhealthy. Um, it all just kind of came to that. And I was like, this is not, this is not going to work. Yeah. No, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm not going to make it. So that's, that's really, that poem was it. I was like, I'm sorry to my wife. I'm, I apologize for letting this thing take over my life, mm-hmm. make me, you know, sabotage my health and my life and my family, right. you know, um, this issue kind of put a strain on my relationship with my biological parents because of all this baggage and all this stuff that we have. So it was, it was a, it was a revelation for me and it, that changed everything. And it was just having those kids in the home every day, having them there and, and being responsible for other people, like human beings are responsible for their safety, having people check up on us and, and make sure we're, we're doing this and we're, we have to get all these rules. You can't, can't give them an aspirin. There's like a list, it can't get their hair cut. There's all these like rules and things. You have to get permission to go on a trip or mm-hmm. you know, and then um it's it was a No Facebook. Yeah, no Facebook. We don't we don't you're not you're not allowed to share their because per- the, the biological parents have rights to the to the children until the you know the government or whoever says they don't. So you uh-huh. can't share photos or their names or their their personal information because that's their their parents privacy and right good right. i like i like that because it's so yeah um, the rules are it's so easy now to just share oh, i know i know, like, you know look okay. what the kids like i just we don't do that we don't we don't let the 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 we don't let that kind of thing happen so we just we just say the kids we just say all oh, the kids did this the kids did that we don't put any of their personal information out there because it's not it's not cool for the biological parents to to do that Uh, we kind of we want to honor that relationship Mm -hmm. and make sure that we're doing everything we're supposed to do on our end Mm -hmm. and uh so after after that after that i think we really did we did really we did release i was i got healthier i did i did better i had a couple relapses where the weight would kind of go up and down but Mm -hmm. for the most part i've been able to keep um, a lot of that made off. So I think I think it was good. It was an it was inspiring
0: a, journey. I was watching uh, from afar and you yeah. know, heart, hearting and you know, liking and all that stuff. But just uh, yeah, it was a really inspiring journey and
1: totally. So how, that's that's kind of the, the where we are today. Like we yeah.
0: so how long were the kids foster and then when did the adoption happen?
1: All right, so we had the we got them um uh so we had for three like a little more than three years i think Mm -hmm. and uh you know we weren't we weren't really adoption wasn't really the 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 plan we were just gonna you know we were just gonna foster and uh we didn't even think that you would have a foster case for three years Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like that's a thing like how could you have like a case for three years so um i think usually the the most you would have uh, the foster kid would be like six months, you know, mm-hmm. a year. I think they, every six months they there's some court thing or something happens and like somebody has to decide, some judge has to decide something. I don't they don't really we don't really follow the process on the foster parent side, but like, you know, a year passed, you know, two years. We mm-hmm. we have the little thing on the wall with their their right. heights and mm-hmm. you know they they started in preschool, they're doing all this stuff and you're like, it's it's not even there's no foster there's no step and i started thinking now about my stepfather there is no step at that point it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: just the parents yes yes like um there's no difference
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then um so three years a little over three years in they said um um the case didn't work out unfortunately with the, the biological parents and uh, the children would be eligible for adoption, um, in I think like six months or something like that after they did a bunch of court things
0: and
1: uh, dotted all the I's and the and the T's and all that. So um, we we had a we had a discussion, like a big discussion, with my wife and and we and we had the we had the ugly talk. What I call the ugly talk.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said I said, let's make sure we're that we're going to do this. Um, for the right reasons
0: uh-huh yeah like,
1: let's, let's not just we don't owe anybody anything
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they don't
1: we're, our goal was to make sure these children had a nice place a safe place right having like, place to live but we're not required to adopt them
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's, not our, that's not our job so i said let's really take this seriously let's think about it let's Let's like do our thing. My wife and I, we do a lot of goals together. We do a lot of uh, writing things down, sharing things. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have our, you know, remember our Twitter notebook? We have I our. Know, I was just going
0: to yeah. say, re- tell, of- tell the <laughs> listeners about the <laughs> Twitter notebook because so that- we, have
1: that. we have a lot of communication systems in place. And even with all that, like I said, we still miss it sometimes. We still mm-hmm. miss the mark. Yeah. I still feel like I'm a pretty open guy, but I still. I still have things that I don't share. So we went through it and we thought about, we thought about it for a long time and we made that decision.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We said, yes, we will. We will apply for the, the, the chance to adopt these kids. So I don't know how that part works. Like other people apply or if like other family members. I don't know what happens at that point, but you, you know, you have like a little notebook and you have your family and your home and
0: uh uh-huh
1: putting a kind of a presentation together
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I guess you know the the lawyers and the judges and the social workers and they all kind of you know do whatever the next step is well
0: and good that it's such a conscious conscious thing because the you know the kids have already had a a situation where they can't be with their parents and they've developed a relationship with you and and that kind of stability, and it's like, well, let's make sure that it's you know that it's safe and that it's and that there's support and that that I mean there are no guarantees in life, but let's make the best choice here possible. So yeah, it had to have been a lot, and good thing that there's a lot that
1: goes. That's why I like I like people were throughout the throughout the years. I was had my friends and stuff would ask about the process. And they say, well, isn't it bad this, or isn't it bad that? And I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody, this is the part of the process that's tough. And this is what people need to understand. In order for you to adopt a child, someone has to lose a child. Yes. And that's a, that's a huge decision. That's a huge thing that somebody is doing. Mm -hmm. The, the government, the, the courts the social workers the psychologists the lawyers all the people involved in this process and there's a lot of people
0: mm-hmm.
1: they you know they want this to be done correctly you can't just have the government taking people's kids and, and 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 adopting them out there has to be a process in place there has to be hoops to jump through there has to be laws to sign there has to be judges lawyers everything and i think that's great
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, it's people think the process is weird it's not it makes that to me, that makes sense. You know, just take somebody's kids right and wait to somebody else because you, know, you think they're not a fit parent or you think like it needs to be proven in a court in with lawyers, with representation. Um, it has to be fair. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I, I won't complain about the system because yeah, um, that makes yeah. sense to me. I would never, I would never want to take somebody's kids, um, just because the government can't or you know that's just not you know i just started thinking about when i was a kid my mother had to do whatever she had i don't know she had to do a lot of stuff to get us back and prove a lot of things mm-hmm. and you know, she's gonna do this and be you know i'm super you know she had to do a lot of stuff and what if they just said no right you know, we're gonna give them away to somebody else so that became a very like a huge uh, point of when i when i go to the schools and i talk to the kids. Um, a lot of them will tell me they're foster kids or, they're, or they're, they have hearing loss or they have things that they can relate to and I can tell my story and they can see, okay, here's a guy who went through the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's a guy who's doing the same thing. It can happen. It can be a positive thing. I know a lot of the times it isn't. I'm not going to lie. A lot of the kids are, um, they have traumas. They have, a lot of the kids have special needs. A lot of them have drugs. Drug dependencies and uh, problems caused by you know what happened, and you need to be prepared for that kind of thing. But ultimately, I think the the system, which may be flawed or which may have barriers, which may have things that it can improve, the concept of it is correct, Mm -hmm. and the way they take so many precautions to make sure the kids are safe, because you hear in the news awful things about kids that fall through the cracks
0: yeah
1: killed or or you know you know hurt because they missed some signs so
0: right I, the system I yeah. doesn't always work unfortunately totally. so frank i could talk with you forever i you are always so interesting to me and oh, <laughs> you know your life and your your outlook on life and and all and i just what i'd like to leave the listeners with and um and then maybe there's something you want to end here with is that one of my intentions with these calls is to talk about how we don't just go through things in life. We actually have tools and resources that support us getting to know ourselves better. So if someone said, huh, poetry or writing, like I've never really thought about that as something I would do. What, what could you say to the listeners about how to get started with, Using poetry or writing as a tool of exploring your feelings.
1: Well, that's the best part today. Is like um, a lot of people that don't study poetry. That like you know, I was I went to school to study English and poetry, so I know all this sonnets and all this formats, and all this stuff. But a lot of poetry you see today, which was like that, my part is just prose poetry. Mm-hmm. just sharing your your thoughts in a in a very sort of like specific short way. And I think we've gotten kind of used to that. Like I was saying about the Twitter, the Twitter book where we we kind of pare down our thoughts into a 238 characters or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do is I, like I said, I'm feeling something. I just take a, just grab a piece of paper. I still write it out or I use my notes on my, the notes on my iPhone or whatever. Yeah. Say what it is. Like, uh, don't be afraid. Nobody's reading. Nobody cares. Nobody's looking over your shoulder. And that's, that's where it comes in. The writing, is, you don't have to know poetry or be some great writer. Well, I think what, it, what does well is if you share your actual feelings. Mm-hmm. And then when you share your feelings, it connects to other people. And then when you share your feelings in a way that is, that is correct or that is, that is the proper way for you, you have that, that healing. Mm-hmm. Or you have that uh, that understanding of where you are. That's each one of those steps. I think that's really the key. Don't try to be a poet. Don't try to be a. Uh, you're not going to be writing sonnets in Shakespeare right away. Mm-hmm. But just try to get your ideas out, mm-hmm. and then you can put them in a in a form. You can put them in a in a style. You can edit them. You can change them. That's the best part. And that's where the, <laughs> the idea comes in. Right, get it out. Yeah. I mean, worry about the spelling and the grammar and the the meters and the things that that or later but i think that's the main thing without the the emotion behind the the craft you don't have anything mm-hmm. you just have craft i mean it's it'll look nice but i don't think you'll get any feeling so that's what i tell people and i tell the kids at the schools um you know right what you feel mm-hmm. i you to me it doesn't the form i just like form i like to rhyme i like to show yeah. up <laughs> um, yeah. but like, i like to say what i say within this this thing but you don't have to do that you'll still get the same emotional impact and results on yourself by by having this process mm-hmm. by letting it out journaling it's kind of like journaling but you know one page at a time it's, mm-hmm. it's good to go.
0: i love it so thank you for being here i have i've <laughs> I'm listing the, the links at the bottom for anyone who wants to explore um, the poetry that you've written. Is there any, any last words or anything that you have that you want to share?
1: No, just if you're going to foster, you know, think about it. A lot of people think about rescuing pets or rescuing animals and how, how much that helps. Imagine, imagine helping out a child who needs a place for six months. Mm-hmm. What you can do in your home to help these kids. I think it's amazing. Think That's about incredible. it. Yeah. I love it. Thanks, Frank. Thank you so much. It's good to talk
0: to you. Good to talk with you too. And thanks to all the listeners for being here. Bye-bye now.